When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Jack Luke and today I'm joined by Tom Law and Oscar Huckle. And in today's episode, we're going to be bringing you the hottest new tech news from Bike Radar over the last few weeks. But before we get stuck in, we're going to have a little update about our lives in cycling outside of this wonderful podcast studio. Now, we're going to get stuck right in with you, Oscar, because you are just back from a very, very exciting long bikepacking trip in beautiful Bonnie, Scotland. Tell us what you did and where you've been. Hi Jack, so I rode the Pictus Trail, which is a 750 kilometre bikepacking route and it goes from Dunnet Head, which is the most northerly point of Scotland, off-road all the way down to Edinburgh, but we added it a little bit on by going to John O'Groats first and then going to Dunnet Head, uh, so the total distance was 850k and uh, yeah, I think it's one of the best rides I've ever done. Wonderful stuff. Yes, we kind of watched from afar in your Strava and it looked absolutely beautiful. And uh, tell us, Oscar, what bike did you ride that on and how did you get on with it? So I took, uh, I used the Marin Headlands for the trip. Uh, it's a bike that I'm reviewing, uh, but I made a couple of changes to the bike before I set off on the trip. So I changed the tyres on it, uh, put my preferred saddle on it, and I think that was it. Uh, so just creature comforts with the saddle because I didn't want to ride something that I was unfamiliar with uh, and the tyres that came on it I've got previous experience of and didn't really want to use them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough on a 900 kilometre ride you definitely yeah. want something that's going to be uh, reliable. Wonderful stuff and I think although I actually we need to talk about this but I'm pretty sure Oscar's going to be writing up a piece about his ride kind of things he learned on his first big long bike packing trip so keep your eyes on bike radar for that one. Now on to you, Tom. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about a new tasty Norco. Am I right in saying that's going to be your new long-termer? And you've got some quite interesting stuff planned for that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be my first long-termer since joining Bike Radar. So very, very excited to get that. And it's going to be going some interesting changes, should we say. I've got a couple of wheel sets that are going to be doing some duty on that bike, which is going to be very interesting. Don't want to give too much away, so stay tuned. Such a bloody tease. Yeah, stay tuned to obviously BikeRadar.com and our YouTube channel for that because it is going to be the most scientific, unscientific testing of two pairs of wheels you have <laughs> never seen. <laughs> yeah, dangling quite the carrot there. Wonderful. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing that. In my personal news, I'd like to announce that I have once again become rad dude Reddington. I've taken up mountain biking again. I've thoroughly enjoyed riding with my wonderful colleagues on a very tasty pivot hardtail. Uh, Tom, do you want to boost my ego at all? I'll put it this way. I didn't know much about your riding, Jack, other than that you were Mr. Tandem Guy. But it turns out, viewers and listeners, Jack is an absolute shredder. What can I say? That's all I wanted it's... to hear. Thank you very much. I'm blushing, but really I just wanted <laughs> an ego boost. Yeah. Uh, no, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I might even pen something around it. Like I, I did more mountain biking than anything else. 
for a very, very long time. But just kind of fell out of it as I got swept up with the fast roadies here at Radar. But I've rediscovered that mountain biking is a lot less stressful than road cycling. Anyway, that's not why you came here. You didn't want to hear about me being a really good mountain biker. You want to hear about <laughs> wonderful new cycling tech. And this week, we've had some really cool new launches. The first of which, which I think is going to create some waves, potentially in the uh, months and years to come, is the announcement and arrival of Microshift's Sword Gravel Bike Group Set, which is an affordable 10-speed gravel bike group set available in both one-by and two-by options, which we have a sneaking suspicion could shake things up a little bit, perhaps even pushing Shimano off of its mid-tier, commonly specced pedestal. Oscar, you're the man who covered Sword for us. Tell us some kind of key details we need to know about this group set. So as you've explained, it's a 10-speed it's a group set uh, that's available in both 1x and 2x flavours. Uh, the 1x option uh, comes with an 11 to 48 cassette, so it's a pretty wide range. I mean, well, current 11-speed Shimano GRX tops out at 42. That's correct. Yeah. Well done. Very um, good. You uh, passed the Shimano pop quiz. Good. Uh, and uh, Campagnolo goes up to 44 uh, but with SRAM, well, SRAM also 44, but you can run a mullet drivetrain by running its Eagle cassette, uh, which takes you up to a 50 or a 52. Um, and in the 2 by flavour of Sword, uh, it runs with an 11 to 38 tooth cassette. So again, a pretty wide range. Uh, the one by crank set options are 40 or 42 teeth, um, so pretty standard. Um, and the two by um, are forty six twenty nine, I believe, mm -hmm. and forty eight thirty thirty one. So you know, it's fair to say that the kind of options that are on offer are quite similar to your standard gravel bike group sets. However, where Microsoft are perhaps going to uh, come in sideways against SRAM Shimano is the price, and the group set, you know, looks pretty affordable on the face of it. Yeah, certainly. So when you add all the prices up together for the one by group set option, uh, it's around the 455 mark. Now, bear in mind, you need to add a chain, a bottom bracket uh, and brakes and disc brake rotors. So should we say, what, $600? For yeah, 600 is about fair, I reckon, yeah. for that kind of thing. So that, that undercuts both SRAM and Shimano quite considerably. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper. And yeah. consider as well, I think really where Microsoft has made waves... Um, one of our other colleagues, Nick, wrote a very good buyer's guide to Microshift. And I think as a brand, they're definitely making headway in the sort of um, third-party consumer world. Like there's something people will genuinely consider specking on their bikes. But really, I think Microshift are going after the OEM market here. And speaking to us, they suggested that we should be seeing this on the sort of $1,200 kind of complete bike range. That's really what they're going after here. Um, Oscar, you've been speaking to a couple of brands to find out who may be specking this. Have you got any tasty teasers on who we maybe will be seeing use this group set soon? This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. So the only one that's confirmed so far is Decathlon, who've confirmed that they'll be using it on 2024 bikes and onwards. I also contacted Trek, Giant and Merida and Ribble, and all of them said they wouldn't be specking it. 
And I also asked Canyon, uh, and they said, never say never. So perhaps we'll see something from them, uh, but not at the moment. Yeah, definitely those kind of price point bikes, is I, th- I think, this is pure speculation, is, is where we're going to see it. Bigger, bigger retailers or direct consumer where, yeah, you can afford to have like less familiar options where people are buying online. There's more of perhaps a research journey compared to like just going into a shop and be like, I want that one. You know, people can sort of make these comparisons for themselves, maybe a bit easier online. What do you think, Tom? Have you seen any kind of Microsoft stuff out and about in the mountain bikey world? You see it quite a lot in the mountain bike world, particularly on entry level to mid range sort of hardtails below the thousand pound price point or a thousand dollars. Barely because they, they're really doing like a one-by sort of system, mm-hmm. which is a lot cheaper than Shimano's options. The queues might change that for next year. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of tallies up because we were saying in the office recently that Shimano seemed to be focusing more on the budget side of things recently. Mm-hmm. They haven't updated the Saint downhill drivetrain for 10 years or so now. Yeah, it's a very current, good point. Yeah, Current Gen XTR is now five years old, nearly six years old. Unridable. It's basically <laughs> unridable. Yeah. And there's How, no DI2 option as and well. There's no, yeah, there's no wireless option or, or even, mm. you know, sort of semi-wireless DI2, but they have plowed a lot of effort into queues and the new mm. GRX that we've seen out and about in the wild. So... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether Microsoft can sort of steal some of Shimano's market share at the budget end of the market. Because that does seem to be where, in my opinion at least, Shimano are putting a lot of lot of their eggs in their basket. One final kind of point on this, just sticking with the budget theme, something that's worth mentioning is that the current edition, so current sword group set that we've seen is mechanical disc brake only. There's no hydraulic disc brake option. Now, I spoke to one of the representatives from Microsoft at Eurobike, and they made like no secret that they know it's something people want. However, making a, like a hydraulic disc brake, I think, is it's a lot more complicated. Packing yeah. that into a drop bar shifter, and and I think it'll be a while till we see that. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Yeah, I put it that way. Um, you've got the group set in hand, Oscar. And when I say in hand, we got it in the office approximately ten minutes ago. Ten minutes ago, <laughs> you know, you've fondled it. What do you think? Well, just fondling it isn't really much of an impression. But I think the most interesting part was the rear derailleur. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed really solidly built. There wasn't any play in it or slop. Um, I thought the one of the features of the rear derailleur is, it, is it's got an orbital barrel adjuster, which is apparently an industry first. So it's a standard, or the barrel adjuster itself is standard, um, but there's like an end cap in it, mm. which is where the inner cable slots into. And the idea of that is it can rotate um, around the, the barrel adjuster um, so, for example, when you're working, w- when you're routing um, cables and the frames internally routed, um, it's not going to be subject to a tight kink or, or bend, which can introduce friction into the into the system. So, I think that's quite a neat idea. Um, the clutch on the rear derailleur also looks interesting, almost kind of Eckhart-like in appearance, but mm, slightly, yeah, slightly yeah, different right. in function. Mm-hmm. And like Shimano, if you want to, you can ride with the clutch off. Uh, whereas with Shimano, whereas with uh, SRAM and Campagnolo, um, you only turn the clutch off if you want to remove the rear wheel. Um, although Microsoft, uh, Microsoft don't endorse riding with it turned off. The only time I've ever ridden with a clutch off willingly was I, for a little while, had an Altegra RX derailleur, which is basically a standard Altegra road derailleur with a clutch in. But I really like it. Like for the type of riding I do on a road bike, it's preferable. But I'd swapped to oval rings for a little while. And it was absolutely horrible. It got that real like draggy feeling as you were pedaling against the clutch. And I used to turn it off for that. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, Microshift Sword, we will have a review at some point, TBD when that will be. But if you want to read all the full details on that group set, we have that 
onebikecreator.com right now, and we'll link to that in the podcast description. If there's any other sort of budget group sets, or we'll call them, I don't know, group sets outside of the big three, let us know. We're always keen to hear suggestions for review products, and if you want to send those through, send them to podcast at bikerider.com. All right, Tom, spill the beans. What are you riding as your long-termer for 2023 and into 2024? My long-termer is the new Norco Fluid FS Carbon. So Mm. they have the existing Fluid FS, which has been available in aluminium, been very highly received in the media. Uh, We do actually have one here, but it's a medium and not a large. So the kind folks at Norco were very kindly offered to uh, swap the other one that we have here for a large carbon version. So I'm going to be on the mid-range C2. There'll be three models available. So C1, C2, and C3. I'll be on the middle of those three. I'm really, really looking forward to getting some time on something that's a bit burlier than my transition spur, although given our Tuesday night laps, <laughs> maybe a cross-country race bike would have been a better option than going something a little bit burlier. Well, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with the Norco range, tell us what this bike is, what it's intended for, key stats. Give me the gossip. So the Fluid is a 130mm travel bike, so it's 130 at the rear, 140 at the front, which does sound very similar to the Optic, which is also in their range. Before, a lot of people were asking, is it just an aluminium version of the Optic? The Optic obviously is carbon, but they the brand claims they are actually very different bikes. So the geometry is very, very similar between the two. They have the same head angle, the reach numbers are the same, the chainstays are slightly shorter on the Optic compared to the Fluid. Uh, but they still keep the same base features. So Norco have what's called their rider line system. So basically it's size-specific geometry. So seat angles and chainstays are size-specific given what size frame you choose depending on your height. And they also have what I think is the most comprehensive setup guide I've ever seen for a full suspension bike. It's really, really good. Oscar's nodding furiously. A man who likes a setup guide, uh, somebody who likes good documentation. (laughs) Does that appeal to you? It does, but also because I've got the Optic as my personal bike. And um, yeah, it was very, very... um, thorough setting it up and uh, when I followed the recommendations with the initial measurements compared to what I ended up on it wasn't far off so yeah it's it's a setup guide that actually works does seem to be good when most brands you know, like you're lucky if you get a recommended sag number from mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, like I know my other bike obviously is my transition spur they say uh, give you a sag range of 25 to 35 percent sag and that is literally it like they're like oh yeah that's your setup whereas Norco you put in your height your weight and um, even like what your riding style is, whether you sit more forward on the bike or more backwards on the bike, they'll give you recommended bar width, stem length, even headset spaces, how many clicks of rebound on the fork and shock. So it's super, super comprehensive. So again, like Oscar's found with his Optic, I'm really keen to punch my own numbers in there and see how far I end up actually deviating from that over the course of the next 12 months on this lush looking new bike. Interesting. Very, very good. That This is a brand new bike. Um, We've got a full news story for that on Bike Radar. Again, link for that is in the podcast description. But the real proof will be in Tom's long-term review. When should we expect to see the first of those reviews on site, Tom, roughly? And will you be covering it on video as part of your key role in the video team? I will certainly be covering it on video. So as I alluded to earlier, it's going to be appearing in my wheels video and also hopefully in a drivetrain comparison video I have coming up. Speaking of alternative drivetrain brands, Mm. as we were earlier, so lots of alternative testing going on with that. The bike should be with me hopefully sometime this week. Uh, It's been doing the rounds at the Ard Rock Enduro over the previous weekend. So the guys at Norco are going to be boxing up and sending it over to me this week, hopefully. So 
fingers crossed, first ride this weekend. And then, uh, yeah, the content will be coming shortly. So I'm really, really excited to get some time on it. Cool. Sounds great. Well, we'll look forward to reading it. We'll wrap up today's podcast with the news that Van Moof, the sort of uh, Dutch high-end, fully integrated uh, commuter bike manufacturer, has declared bankruptcy after the two brothers who founded the brand were unable to secure investment to continue business. Um, this is quite complicated for consumers, particularly as Van Moof is sort of, I guess you would say, defined by its integrated tech as a whole. Like the bikes are very smart connected bikes. They include things like theft finder technology. And all of this, of course, requires remote technology. Now, the brand has said in a statement that they intend to keep the servers and software, which is behind all that integrated tech, working for the time being, but there's no knowing what's going to happen in the years to come. And a lot of what has made those bikes unique could, in theory, we don't know at this stage, of course, could in theory go the way of the dodo. Now, we've got the full story of that on Bike Radar. Again, a link in the podcast description. But before we kind of wrap up, I want to hear what your thoughts were, boys, about integrated tech as a whole. I think in the sort of car world in particular, we've seen the arrival of things like paid for premium features where you essentially, the the tech will be baked into your car, but you must pay a subscription to access that tech. Of course, the question comes in the long term, well, what if that tech is no longer supported? Now, Van Roof is quite an extreme example here where the brand has just vanished, but the increasing proliferation of electronics and bikes, you know, could be cause for concern in the long term for ownership prospects and as an advocate for home repair in all walks of life, it sort of alarms me. Oscar, what are your thoughts? Does the idea of sort of electronic tech put you off generally in cycling or do you more openly embrace the digital lifestyle on board your bike? Well, normally I would say that I embrace it, but in this example, yeah, I mean, what do you do if you need a spare part in the future? It sounds like you're screwed. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, yeah, that's the... the possible downside that you risk by investing in something that might not be around in 10 years time. Yeah, definitely. Actually, that's a good point specifically on parts. Van Moof, though it does use some standard parts, they do use some bespoke parts. I always remember there used to be someone who would ride one to our office and they've got these really distinct solid rotors. They're totally different to any other disc rotor I've seen. But yeah, what do you do now? What do you do now that you can't buy these spare parts? It's, it's quite alarming, I dare say. Now, Tom, you're a bit of a car nerd, so perhaps you'll come at this with a bit more of a um, balanced opinion. What do you think in terms of bikes and integrated tech? It is going to be interesting because, as you guys both know, I'm a big fan of wireless drivetrains. I think they're really good. I don't like clutter on my bike. The wireless suspension side of things is going to be more interesting. But I think you're right. It's quite a scary time, you know, because you could spend an awful lot of money on on bike tech that might not, you know, be sticking around for for too much longer. You know, we've seen the i2 have issues with firmware updates. If you suddenly can't update it to the latest sort of thing, then is it still going to work? Or even like looking at your iPhone, like you need a Mm. certain uh, model of iPhone to get like the latest version of iOS, for example. And it's the same with with cars as well. Like obviously you've got paid for subscription services, over the air updates and things like that. So I know in some cases like Polestar, for example, you could even pay to have a performance package over the air onto your car to get more performance out of it, which is an interesting thing. So it just depends on the backup in the long run, I think, which mm-hmm. like I say, hopefully for the most part, as long as the company that you're dealing with is still around, there will be something. It might not be the best, mm-hmm. but... Like I say, in, in this case with Van Muth, if the company goes under, you could be in a spot of bother, really, which, like I say, in terms of the environmental sort of impact yeah. and being able to repair stuff, 
it does just take us one step towards that more throwaway society that we seem to be heading towards, unfortunately. Definitely. I think stuff like DI2, if I think about the first few generations of DI2, like, well, you certainly can't buy spare parts for that now. Like, it still works if you would get it all together. Like, there's nothing that's going to stop that kit from functioning. I think what concerns me more is, is the idea of these, like, fully integrated bikes. A good example, actually, would be years and years ago, we reviewed... Um, a bike which launched on Kickstarter, the SpeedX Leopard. I remember and that. Yeah, yeah. Fully, yeah. Like, fully integrated road bike. Um, a really good investigative piece was published by Cycling Tips. It will be so part of Velo now, I guess. But yeah, they kind of looked into the demise of the brand. And basically, all these people who had bought this bike were left in the cold in that they couldn't get any spare parts. But more critically, there was a very distinct integrated um, uh, like computer into the stem. And it was you know, obviously the brand's gone now. There's no support for it. Like that's quite an extreme example, but I would definitely, as personally, and my kind of taste in bikes, I just think the long-term ownership prospects for any of that kind of integrated tech really puts the heebie-jeebies up me. I'm a, I'm a more simple man in many ways. I think it extends beyond electronics because, for example, um, with the latest wave of integrated bikes, they've all got their own stems or spacers. And again, will the brands be making that in 10 years' time? Yeah. Yeah. It's something Simon's actually pretty hot on when it comes to his reviews. He's always kind of commented on that. And, and you know, it deserves absolute scrutiny yeah. because we are in a very different world to how we were even 10 years ago. It's something I'm going to give some more thought to, particularly the kind of proliferation of electronics and what it means for long-term ownership. Um, but I'd like to hear what you think. Again, podcast at bikecreator.com. If you do have any thoughts, we're always keen to hear those. And if not, let us know in the comments on any of these articles. Again, we do read them and we like listening. That was your very quick fire round of some interesting news from the last couple of weeks. If you've got any hot scoops, send them through to the email aforementioned. But in the meantime, thank you very much, Oscar and Tom, for joining me. And we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Creator Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends. Or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 